Welcome to the Landmark Apostolic Church's podcast. There suddenly comes the realization that nothing, and I mean nothing, can separate us from the love of God. Suddenly we see the hiding place for us. We think it's a chance to run from our circumstance, but God sees it as a prime opportunity that we can run to Him, we can run to His presence, and we can have relationship with Him. No matter how you wound up in your spot this morning, no matter how you wound up in that hiding place, the result is still the same. God is trying to come near. God is trying to initiate the contact, to initiate. God was the initiator in every situation. They ran. They tried to escape. They weren't looking for God, but oh, God was looking for them. God was seeking after them. God was searching. Be in the house of the Lord this morning. Amen. How many after Thanksgiving that you felt like you might float away? <laughs> amen. Amen. Good to be in the house of the Lord this morning. Good to see each and every one of you. And I uh, hope that everyone had a great Thanksgiving. Uh, time to be with family and be thankful for everything that God has done for us. Good to be back here. Man, it just when we miss Wednesday night, it feels like we haven't had church in forever. Seven days is a long time. Amen. Yesterday, you all know my hatred for, uh, I can't drink milk that is on its expiration date. I just can't do it. So like, I, I don't know. We just, we throw it out. You know, I just can't. So Yesterday I was at a gas station and I just had this craving for chocolate milk and uh, I go up and I get a one gallon jug of chocolate milk and I take it up to the counter and the lady said this is clearanced out to 50 cents and I'm like why and uh, look at it and it was about two weeks old. And so I was really craving chocolate milk, so I'm just like, I go back to, the, to where, the, where they're all at, and I'm going through all of the jugs of chocolate milk, trying to find one, and they were all expired. And in the spirit of Thanksgiving, in the spirit of Thanksgiving, I'm thankful that that was only a dream that I had Saturday night. <laughs> Wow, what a nightmare that was. Amen. It's good to be in the house of the Lord this morning. Grab your Bibles. Genesis chapter 3 is where we'll be uh, drawing our text from. Genesis 3, and we'll begin reading at verse number 1. verses 1 through 8 here and if you don't have your Bibles that's all right we have it up on the monitor for you today you can read along with us the Bible says now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made and he said to the woman has God indeed said you shall not eat of every tree of the garden and the woman said of the serpent we may eat the fruit of the trees of the garden 
But of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. Then the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die. For God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes and a tree desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. She also gave to her husband with her, and he ate. The eyes of both of them were open, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves coverings. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and Adam and his wife hid themselves. They hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Amen. I want to speak just for the next little bit on this title, In the Midst of Hiding. In the Midst of Hiding. Amen. Would you help me pray this morning? Lord, we love you today. God, we're so thankful for the opportunity, the privilege to be in your house today. God, I pray that your word would go forth, find good soil. God, I pray that you would open up our hearts and our ears, our minds. God, help us to understand. God, I pray that you would speak to us all in this place today. Let your anointing fall and we'll give you all the praise and the glory in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated today. I was going through some uh, stuff the other day, cleaning out one of our closets which was uh, long overdue and you know how it is whenever you you clean uh, clean out stuff all of a sudden you find stuff and you're like oh, I'm gonna hold on to that for a little bit longer <laughs> you're like I didn't even realize I still had that you know and so I'm going through and some stuff I'm like why did I ever keep this what what even is this and so I was cleaning out uh, a closet in the office and um Going through, I found this shoebox, and uh, inside the shoebox, there was all these old pictures of whenever I was a kid, and, and uh, my brothers and family, and different ones growing up, and, and, uh, and I was going through all of that, and I came across this photo, and I, I sent it to my dad. It was a, it was a photo that uh, the church over in Peenyville that I attended whenever I was a teenager, they had this scrapbook. Anybody remember when scrapbooks were a thing? Who still scrapbooks? <laughs> You're brave. No, it's nobody brave enough to raise their hand still scrapbooking. That's okay. But they would scrapbook and they would keep photos and things like that of, you know, things that were going on in the church. And it came across this photo of the, of the day that I was baptized. And I, I took a picture of it because it was pretty amazing because my dad had come out to see his son get baptized and you know how Pentecostals get if you get in an altar they are going to get some hands on you and he ended up getting baptized the same night that I did it was amazing it was an amazing night and so I was thinking that you know just reflecting back on on some old memories and you know around that how you know what I was doing around that that age you know I got in church around 14 years old and uh, God called me into the ministry and I was thinking about you know the time that I went off to college and uh, it was just like I mean I would just got uprooted and thrown into a city 
And I just remember to this day driving to, to college, and I was so just in awe, I've shared this with you before, of all the airplanes that were flying around. Like I'm almost getting in a wreck driving down the interstate because I'm like looking over at all the airplanes that are flying off. And people, people are so numb to that in the city because they see it every day. But somebody from, you know, Peenyville, Illinois or something, we see like a crop plane every now and then or something. <laughs> And, uh, you know, or a mosquito, and we're, you know, nothing like a jumbo jet airliner. And so there I am in this big concrete jungle of St. Louis, and I'm off to college, and I was so excited about it. But I can remember to this day being up in my dorm room, okay, my, my mom and brothers, they had just dropped me off. We had unpacked everything, and life was good, and all of a sudden it was time for them to leave, it was time for old Bryce to be by himself in a dorm room that I could lay in my bed and make a sandwich at the same time because it was that tiny. It was that small. But I remember looking out the window and watching them walk out the door, go to their car, leave the parking lot, and I watched them as, as long as I possibly could. And when I could not see them anymore, it was at that moment that I felt alone. I just felt alone. There I was. I didn't know anybody. I didn't have any friends. Um, I just felt like I was all by myself. And so trying to struggle through that and deal with that, you know, leaving everything that you, that you know, everything that you're used to, everything that you're comfortable with, and being in this new environment, uh, even though it wasn't that far away, it was an hour and a half away, it wasn't like I was moving across country like some people do when they go off to, when they go off to college. I was still an hour and a half away, but it felt like an eternity away. I felt alone. And so I began to think about that and think about today and what, what I felt like the Lord wanted me to share with you, and that is on this subject of uh, loneliness. Loneliness. Loneliness is a common human experience, meaning that all of us, whether single or married, whether for a short period of time or for an extended season, deal with loneliness. I looked up some statistics and I was kind of shocked. Only around half of Americans, 53%, say that they have meaningful daily face-to-face -face social interactions, including an extended conversation with a friend or spending quality time with family. 53%. More people live and eat alone. More than half of all meals, 57%, are eaten alone. A 2014 study by market researcher NPD Group concluded. And 34% of Americans spend dinner time alone. Nearly 30% of households in the U.S. are comprised of one person. It's the second most common household type after married couples without children. Why so? Why, why, why is this such an issue? Why is this such an epidemic, if you will? Why so? Well, loneliness, I believe, at its root is a spiritual issue. 
I believe that. But often, here's what we do as society. We often define loneliness in physical or emotional terms. That is, we think loneliness can be defined by the absence of people, whether physically or emotionally. So what do we do? We think to ourselves, what we need to do to fix our problem of loneliness is to have more people in our lives, right? To make our circle bigger, to make our community bigger, to make uh, people around us bigger. And so we surround ourselves with people thinking that that is the answer to our loneliness. And here's what happens. It doesn't work the way that we think it should work. And so what do we do? We think to ourselves, well, we need more considerate people in our lives. Not just people, but we need considerate people in our lives. But then that doesn't work either. It doesn't complete the picture because loneliness is not just the absence of people, but it is the presence of pain. It is the presence of pain. It's not just the absence of people, but it is the presence of pain. The pain of separation. The pain of separation from God. The pain of separation from others. And we read in our Bible that it began all the way back in the Garden of Eden when Adam decided to choose the pleasures of sin. And in doing so, he inherited the pain of loneliness. Have you ever been uh, uh, in a place where you saw loneliness not as a problem, but as a solution to your problem? Some of us have problems called people. (laughs) We have people problems, right? All right. The smiles help me feel a little bit better up here, okay? Okay, and we sometimes think that it's easier just to get away from people. It's easier to isolate ourselves rather than deal with others. We sometimes choose loneliness over the pressures of people. You know, ministry would be, a, would be really great if it wasn't for people. No, I'm just kidding. How many know this is a people business, right? Can't do it without them. Exactly right. But sometimes we, we choose loneliness over the pressures of people. And sometimes I myself like to hide, like to run, like to escape. And sometimes all of us can, we, we've got that hiding place that we run to, we escape, we go to when we're feeling overwhelmed by circumstances or frustrated by people, frustrated by family, frustrated by coworkers. And we, we try to escape it. We try to run. Does anybody, how many have a place where you just can get away? Does anybody have that place? You don't have to raise your hand, but th- sometimes we all, we all that place, uh, a certain spot, a certain location where uh, uh, I, I think most of us have that. I remember in college, I would just get in my car and I would just drive. I didn't know where I was going. I didn't even know the landscape. I didn't know which direction to go. I would just get in my car and drive. And that was me escaping the pressures of people. Has anybody ever got in their car and drove and said, if I just, I just keep driving straight to Canada and I'll just start a new life there. I'll just go until I run out of gas. And then when I run out of gas, I'll stop. I'm being very transparent with you here this morning, but um, I'm trying to help somebody. 
Some of us too, we, we can think of times in our lives when we felt like getting away. Just, just go, just run, escape, get away from the pressures of people. And, and so it is that we fluctuate between loneliness as being our greatest problem to thank goodness all those people are gone. I can finally breathe again. And, and we go back and forth and we, it's a struggle that we're in. We see loneliness as a problem at first, but then we think that maybe it's a solution to our problems. And I'm here to tell you that we're not the first people in the history of mankind to choose loneliness. Many of us over the course of history since the beginning of time have chosen to hide Hiding is something that humans have done since our beginning. And I'm here to tell you this morning and help you that God, even in your hiding, has a purpose for your hiding place. He has a purpose for your escape. You see, sometimes we, is, we seek to escape the tough realities of life and escape the pressures of people only to encounter the great reality of God's presence because I believe that in the midst of your hiding, God still wants to meet with you and God still has great purpose in your hiding place. Yes. God wants to turn it from a place of escape into a place of relationship with Him. I want to talk about some people in the Bible that all dealt with this feeling. People that ran away from tough times. People that ran away trying to find escape. And if you're here today feeling that feeling, I just want to help you and lift your spirits up today and say you're not alone. You're not by yourself in feeling those feelings. Loneliness and hiding have been with us since the beginning of mankind. I've already alluded to Adam and Eve. Adam was the first person who chose to run to the hiding place. And in Genesis 3, God is painting the picture of what life once was when he enjoyed perfect fellowship with him and with one another. In Genesis 2, we, we learn that God took dust and formed man and he breathed into his nostrils and Adam came into being. And Adam had a, had a pretty sweet deal, if you don't, uh, I, I think so anyways. It, keep the land, cultivate it, and have perfect relationship with God. That was the deal. And God provides for him a spouse because it's not good for man to be alone. And so he creates Eve and they were together able to enjoy all the pleasures of the garden have relationship with each other, have relationship with God, granted that they did not eat from one tree. They had this amazing deal, a deal that any of us would take. But how many know there's always that red button? Yeah. There's always that button. Even as an adult, you know about that button. There's always that red shiny button that we want to press. We love to push the button. And one day the serpent came to Adam and Eve and said, if you eat of the fruit of which God told you not to eat, not only will you not die, you're going to be like God. And they believed him. And they bit and the world fell and suddenly they were overwhelmed with this sense of shame and a sense of disconnectedness and the pain of loneliness and they covered themselves with fig leaves. And then 
Did they not only realize that they need to hide from one another, but they also had to hide from God. And so they did. The first thing they could think to do, they hid behind a bush. And it says that God was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and then they hear Him, and they want to remain hidden from His presence. Because hiding would be something that humans do from then on out. It's what we do. It's amazing that we think that we can hide from God. It would be like me laying in this altar this morning covering my eyes. How foolish and how silly that looks. They hid in creation from the Creator. God calls out, Adam, where are you? And his question was not for him. God knew. It wasn't for him to find out where they were. It was for them to help them find themselves again. You know why? Because they were lost. Adam says, here I am. And God leans down and he asks him, who told you that you were naked? And from then on, humanity creates a history of hiding. A history of running to a hiding place. The next time we encounter someone hiding, it's Genesis 16 when we encounter Hagar. She was purchased in Egypt. She served as a maid to Abraham's childless wife, Sarah, who gave gave her to Abraham to conceive an heir. And after she became pregnant, the relationship shockingly becomes, it goes south between her and Sarah. There is emotional and even physical abuse. And so she runs and she hides and she seeks to escape from her circumstances. And it says that she runs down by a well. And I believe that it's likely she ran down by this well because she's thinking, this is my only opportunity perhaps to survive. I'll just live off the water of this well and perhaps I could raise my son here and I'll just spend the rest of my life hiding. But then behind her, the angel of the Lord leans down and asks her, Hagar, where have you come from and where are you going? Elijah was the great prophet of Israel known for his workings of miracles. He was known for his miraculous deeds. And one day he encounters Obadiah in in 1 Kings 18 and he's informed that many of the prophets are in hiding because Jezebel the evil queen has decided to put out a death warrant on all the prophets of Israel because she was now supporting the prophets of Baal. But Elijah in an act of great courage says, oh no, 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 no. I'm not going to hide. Instead you tell those prophets of Baal to meet me on the mountain and we'll see who the true God is. And so they meet up on the side of the mountain. They do this battle where, where, where he tells the prophets of Baal, you build an altar and I'll build my altar. You put your oxen on your altar and you call down from your God to consume it with fire and I'll build my altar and I'll drench it with water and build a trench around it so when he comes, I'll show you who the one true God is. And and so they, they, they engage in this battle and suddenly the prophets of Baal, they start calling on their God and nothing happens. And Elijah goes over to the altar and he calls on his God and fire falls and consumes the sacrifice and people know who the one true God is. And so here Elijah is in this, in this great moment of courage and obedience and victory. But then he gets a memo. He gets a note from Jezebel 
And she says, I'm coming to kill you, Elijah. Now you would think after having a great victory like he just had, he would be filled with such confidence. But the Bible says that he runs away. He runs away in fear and in trembling. And he runs and he keeps running. He keeps running to the point that he just wants to die. And an angel of the Lord comes and meets him and says, Get up and eat and I'll give you enough food for the journey. And so he eats. But then in 1 Kings 19, it says that he is hidden away in the cave. He lodges himself in a cave and behind him he hears the voice of the Lord leaning down to him and asking, Elijah, what are you doing here? What are you doing here? Simon, remember the day that he met Jesus He was in his boat fishing and Jesus came upon him and said, Simon, I'm no longer going to make you a fisher of fish, but I'm now going to make you a fisher of men. And Simon was excited about this idea. He was, he, he, he was no longer going to be just this fisherman, just this, uh, 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 just this normal guy, but he was going to be perhaps a great warrior king with his war, or a, a great warrior king with his warrior king named Jesus. And he's very excited the one day that Jesus gives him a new name and he calls him Peter. And he says, upon this rock, I will build my church. And this only boosts Peter's confidence in his great dream, this great hope of being someone big but it wouldn't be three years later that Peter would find himself denying that very man and he would watch his hopes and his dreams of becoming someone great die with Christ upon the cross or so he thought And so he runs away and hides and he's feeling abandoned and disillusioned and, and, and heartbroken and feels as if his purpose has now ceased. And so he goes back, according to John 21, to the very place which Jesus originally found him. He goes back out fishing on his boat and he resigns himself to just going back being a fisherman. He goes back to the way things were. But suddenly he hears a voice crying out from the shore. Simon, how's the fishing going today? Not too good. Haven't really caught anything. The voice shouts back, why don't you cast your nets on the other side? And so he does and he pulls it up and it's so full of fish and suddenly he realizes that it's the Lord. And so he jumps off his boat and he runs to the shore and there he would encounter a scene that would remind him of great shame. He would come upon a fire of coals and he had not seen a fire of coals since the moment that he denied Jesus. So you could imagine at this moment that Peter was full of great shame because the scene was reminding him of the very place in which he denied the man who he is now coming back to reclaim his purpose in life. Jesus looked at him and said, Simon Peter, stay, eat, stay here. And then he leaned down and he asked him a question. He said, Peter, do you love me more than these? 
I look at all these stories that I presented before you today. And I think about all the similarities in each one. In all of these similarities about God and us and the hiding place. And there's some things that we have to take note of today. Because they have to teach us about our hiding as well as the character of God in the midst of our hiding. Why? Because that's the human condition. We run. We hide. We escape. And I believe that we can, we can now come and understand the, the and define the hiding place as following. I believe it is this. The hiding place can be viewed as that place or season in our lives when we run from people and circumstances and feel that the world is against us and embrace loneliness only to encounter God and learn that He is for us and therefore we can experience true aloneness. There is a difference between loneliness and aloneness. And, and we can't help but note this and see this through the many similarities in these passages. The first thing that stands out to me is this. No one came to the hiding place for the same reason. Did they? Adam ran to the hiding place out of great sense of shame. He had not only ruined his own life, but the lives of everyone else who would live on the planet. That's a pretty big deal. Hagar was escaping emotional and physical abuse. She was overwhelmed by her circumstances, and so she ran out of a sense of helplessness. Elijah was there because at one time he was courageous and obedient, but suddenly he gave in to the reality that all of a sudden he realized, I have believed the lie that this God who can consume and alter and consume 400 people doesn't have enough power to save me. He said, that was my thinking. I'm, I'm a coward. I'm a failure. I'm no greater than my father's. And so he runs to the hiding place. And he wants to die because he thinks I'm no better than anyone else. I'm just as weak. I'm just as much afraid. I'm just as much. I'm much less of a man than anybody else. And he's out there. Uh, he, he's out there in the hiding place because of hopelessness and, and, and loneliness with feelings of guilt and condemnation. Peter was there because he felt like he had been abandoned. Suddenly the great hopes that he had for his life, the great purpose for which he had hoped to live had left his grasp. And now he was feeling alone and abandoned and disillusioned. And he has the same thought that many of us think. I'm getting older and I'm still not able to do what I thought I was going to be able to do. My life is a failure. And so he was there because he was feeling disillusioned and defeated. I would like to point out to you this morning that regardless of the reasons that we are in the hiding place, the result was still the same in every situation. God came near. 
in the midst of the hiding place regardless of the reason why we as human beings choose to hide there suddenly comes the realization that nothing and I mean nothing can separate us from the love of God suddenly we see the hiding place for us we think it's a chance to run from our circumstance but God sees it as a prime opportunity that we can run to him we can run to his presence and we can have relationship with him is anybody thankful this morning to know that there is purpose in the midst of your hiding place there is purpose in the midst of your escape Suddenly we realize that that hiding place for us, we thought it was a chance, an opportunity to run and escape the pressures of this life and the pressures of people. And God looks at it and he says, this is an opportunity that I can come near. God wants to come near in your life. And so God, the great God of the universe, in His great love for His children, He decides that He's going to come and meet with them. No matter how you wound up in your spot this morning, no matter how you wound up in that hiding place, the result is still the same. God is trying to come near. God is trying to initiate the contact, to initiate. God was the initiator in every situation. They ran. They tried to escape. They weren't looking for God, but oh, God was looking for them. God was seeking after them. God was searching. There's something else that God does. If our music would come this morning. He came and met with those that were hiding. Those that were trying to escape. Not only did he initiate the contact and and he met with them. But he also came with a message. And he also came with a question. He asked a question. Have you ever been in a place in your life where one question changed your life? One question. And here we see that God comes asking a question. Why? Why did God, why did he ask a question? I think the reason is And the purpose is twofold. Do you realize that there's something, something of compassion in questions? There's something of compassion in God's questions. Because Brother Bishop, he he didn't, he didn't come to Adam and go, get out of here. He said, why are you here? He didn't come to Hagar and say, go back to where you came from. He said, where have you come from and where are you going? He didn't come to Elijah and go, you're a failure. You're a coward. Give up. You're no better than your father. He said, what are you doing here, Elijah? What are you doing here? 
He didn't go to Peter and go, I told you from the beginning this would happen. Wake up. He said, Simon, do you love me? And it's in that moment that behind every single question we hear an even greater answer. It's in that question, those questions that God has for His people that are running and feeling alone and feeling abandoned and feeling by themselves. In those questions, I hear an even greater question. If I am for you, who can be against you? What are you doing? Why are you here? Where are you going? Why are you running? Because if I am for you, who can be against you? I hear the voice of God in those questions saying, I'm here for you. You thought you were through, but do you understand that I've got plans for you? Greater plans than even you imagine. I'm not done with you yet. Forget the fact that the whole world is against you. I'm greater than the world. Forget the fact that you feel like your plans have failed. If it's my will, nothing can stop it. Saying, I'm here with you. I've never left you. And if I'm for you, who can be against you? Nothing can separate us from the love of God. Not even the hiding place. Would you stand with me this morning? The second reason I believe he asked a question is because he was making a profound statement. And I want you to get this this morning. He was making the statement that he was going to love them where they were at. But he wasn't going to leave them where they were at. And there's this common teaching in the church today that God's love is unconditional. And you know what? There's a partial truth in God's love being unconditional, but here's the deal. God's love is greater than unconditional because He can love you in your sin, but He doesn't leave you in your sin. He not only addresses the problem and loves you in the midst of the problem, He's going to work in you to solve the problem. And by asking them a question, he was therefore orientating them to the reality that God was not only going to love them in the midst of their hiding, he was saying, hey, I know you're hurt. I know you're scared. I know you want to spend the rest of your life in hiding. And you know what? I love you right where you are, but come on out. Come out of there. I love you too much to leave you there. Come on out. He's saying, come, come. There's no shame in my presence. As 
Some of you are probably thinking to yourself, well, Bryce, that's good and, and well, but if God loves us so much and He really feels that way about us and if He's for us and not against us and if He's initiated the contact with me and it's not merely up to me to seek and find Him, then why doesn't He fix our circumstances? And this is where we get in the snag. Because we know that about God. We know He loves us. He initiated the contact. He is for us. He came near. Why doesn't He just, why doesn't he just fix the circumstance? Why doesn't He take it all back? Why did it have to happen? If you notice in each of these passages, He never fixes their circumstances ultimately. Adam remains in a broken world. Hagar has to go back and give up the baby. And Elijah has to go back and face Jezebel. And Simon Peter doesn't become the great warrior king that he thought he was going to become. He became a great preacher instead. But it wasn't quite the earthly victory that he had anticipated. So they had to go back to their circumstances. And God did not remove their circumstances. So the question is, if God loves us so much, why doesn't He just go and make things right? Why doesn't He undo my problem? Well, I'm here to tell you this morning that the joy of the hiding place is that God realizes that we don't merely need happy circumstances. We don't merely need an easy life. What our heart's desire is ultimately is to meet with Him. Is to meet with Him. That is our greatest desire. And sometimes, church, listen to me, our desires can be clouded by our reality to want an easy life and happy circumstances. But in the midst of the hiding place, God is saying, I'm not going to fix your problems. I'm going to extend to you me. You get me. You get relationship with me. Church, your greatest need is not a quick fix. Your greatest need, your deepest heart's need is a relationship with your Savior. He is the cure to loneliness. Would you bow your head, close your eyes in this place? Some of you are feeling this this heaviness, this pressure. Not everything has been roses and, and, and sunshine in your life. That's not always been easy. And sometimes we think it would just be better if I just left, if I just got away, if I just ran and hid. If I could just escape. It's no wonder we see so many people on 
hooked on prescription medicine these days because it's their, it's their way to just leave. It's their way to run and hide. But I'm here to tell you and help you today. There is purpose in your hiding. God wants to come near. But it is up to you to open the door. Jesus is a perfect gentleman. He will not kick down a door. He will not just come right on in and barge in in your life and say, this is what it's going to be. You don't have any say so. No, He stands at the door and He knocks. In the midst of your hiding, I pray that you would recognize the presence of God trying to intervene in your life, trying to come near would you open up your mouth and just begin to pray in this place would you invite the lord in come on would you lift up your voice in this place say lord i invite you i invite you into my loneliness god i invite you into my heart god in times of fear in times of trial and struggle and trouble Thank you for listening to the Landmark Apostolic Church Podcast. You can follow this podcast for more great episodes from the Landmark family. If you are ever in our area, our doors are open on Sundays at 10 a.m. and Wednesday at 7 p.m. Thank you once again for listening to the Landmark Apostolic Church's podcast. God bless.